0: Welcome to KnitCast with me, Marie Urshard. For this edition, I'm joined by Lucy Neatby, knitting designer and Queen of Colour. Well, I've just crowned her Queen of Colour anyway. (laughs) I'm I'm very privileged. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you very much for uh, joining me on the show today, Lucy. And I do think it's quite fair to say that you do love colour.
1: Yes, I'm growing downwards. I, I walk past children's clothes shops and think, why don't they make fun things like that for adults? And I suppose I'm not really a proper adult. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't
0: know. T- terms like proper.
1: Well, I d- I'm definitely not proper. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I remember when I first interviewed you, which was a few years ago. I mean, a- anyone who meets you, first of all, I, I mean, your hair is just a fantastic shade. Thank for you. one thing. Yeah, but I think it's... You're very comfortable and you're not afraid to take bold colors and use them in the way that you want it. Sometimes I think people are a bit frightened to use color.
1: Yes, I think I think the fear of making a mistake, there's this big thing in the back of people's minds. And in actual fact, probably a real liberation was for me working with some of case designs where if you take 50 colors, if one of the 50 is a little weird, who is actually going to notice? So, in a way, the more colours you have, the less colour mistakes you can make. If I'm asked to only choose four colours with which to work a sweater, then you'll see somebody struggling like a pin on a stick, because that's just far too difficult. But if you give me carte blanche, then you go with it. But I think that's one of the things with knitting. It's such a slow medium that we we want to be careful not to make mistakes, and that holds us back from really experimenting. Plus, people do seem to be fairly restrained in what they wear and how they appear. So if you're very controlled in the rest of your dressing and, and your colours, it's hard to just let go in your knitting. I think variegated yarns have, and hand-painted yarns have really helped people over over the hump and mm. seen wonderful colour collections together. And then they said, oh, yes, I think particularly the hand dyers. I mean, the self-striping yarns intrigued people because they didn't know what was coming next. So that made it an adventure. But the hand dyers anyone can fall in love with the skein of yarn. It's not difficult. I mean, we can fall in love with a solid colored skein of yarn. So when you see one has all these colors that speak to you, people could or can instinctively reach out and hug that skein of yarn to them. And not at that time saying, saying to themselves, well, I'm choosing turquoise, purple, a little bit of yellow and a bit of, you know, they're not thinking about the colors they're choosing. They're choosing them as a collection. Yes. Um, rather than going and saying, well, one of this and one of that and a splidge of this and a spot of that. um, They're actually taking what's on offer and and just choosing it because it speaks to them without having to make a conscious decision. Mm. So I think then they they say, wow, I like all these colours in combination. I'd never have put them together, but I really like them. And maybe if I add some green to this, a little solid colour, and it gives them a springboard, it's somewhere to start bit like designing the hardest part is if you have all the yarn in the world or all, all the colors in the world all the needles in the world and you can design anything you want then you just go oh you're overwhelmed whereas yes. if you need some socks and you've got three skeins of yarn
0: guess what you're going to be working with <laughs> yes those. that's right sometimes you need to sort of put in some boundaries sometimes exactly I was intrigued by how many colours you would, would like to use when you're designing a sweater.
1: Mm, yes. Well, Shelridge Farm has been very, very patient with me over the years because Buffy Taylor has... Or, well, I've never heard her screaming out loud, actually, when I said, well, it's only going to take 28 colours in this kit. <laughs> um, so, I mean, she's either very, very polite or... <laughs> Very, very good to me. But uh, I know the uh, Sunset Vest kit has at least 28 different yarns in it. And that's quite a monster to make up and wind up and fold up and weigh and measure.
0: But fun to do. If we move on to the more self-patterning yarns, in Cool Socks Warm Feet, you've really sort of harnessed those sort of yarns and I suppose tamed them in a way or at least got them to do things that you
1: want them to do. I was trying to present a selection of interesting sock designs that didn't take or didn't compete with the patterns that were in the yarn. I've just seen so many socks where people have spent hours putting a lovely cable up the front and some nice lace panels down the side. And quite honestly, they shouldn't have bothered because the yarn is so emphatic and says what it's going to say that messing around with delicate little stitch patterns isn't going to really you know, produce any, yes. any stunning effect. So what I wanted was people not to knit the same old sock. Otherwise you are going to get bored. Mm-hmm. I have a really low boredom threshold. And so, um, I wanted a, a conventional top down common heel wedge toe sock. And then I wanted a toe up and I wanted, um, one with a sideways garter stitch cuff and just as many different heels and toes as I could get into that size of the book many sizes so that you can custom size them. And then even if you're knitting a fairly plain sock, which is great to do with, with the self-patterning yarns because you've got all the colors in there doing the work. So you can concentrate on the technique of the heel flap or the toe or the um, whatever aspect of the sock you've never tried before. And then when you've done three or four different styles of toes, you can start saying, wow, my favorite toe is this. My favorite sort of heel is this. And you can mix and match them yourself. That was my inspiration for the book. That was my the, the catalyst that made it all come together. But I have to say, my sock production um, calmed down considerably after the book was published, um, and I haven't done quite as many in the recent years. But I'm I'm getting the urge to sock again. Yes, perhaps it's a bit bit of a, a
0: phase sometimes. And I suppose there are there are so many wonderful things that we can knit.
1: Sometimes. Oh, am yeah, I'm totally in the moment whatever it, it ever is burning me up I mean I've been in a holy phase for the last three years it's it's abating but I'm still not done with them I know they're putting holes
0: things. in things yes holes
1: in and holes in ah, sh- do you pants. know
0: I was googling today I found the picture of you that uh, Franklin Habit had taken oh. and how you'd said I'm going to put a hole in your sock because he was doing a series of <laughs> photographs that's of right <laughs>
1: And the Stephanie Pearl McPhee has a hole in that one of her socks as well. And they're very elegant holes. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and so so a hole, I, hole in his scarf, I should say, not. Yes, he had a hole in the scarf. Stephanie has a hole in her sock, but they're the most beautiful holes. So yes, I've been playing with holes for a number of years now, and then I've been into the triple strand Navajo knitting thing from a single ball. And the Venus Rising Cardigans, which again have been a complete obsession. I'm currently in the grips of a major double-knit obsession. Um, and it will—it just lurches on from one thing to the other. And I mean, it might just be simmering quietly on the sidelines, but I never know when it's going to strike again. It's like having some dormant disease. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think creativity is a bit like that
0: sometimes, in that it just possesses you sometimes. It yeah. kind of shakes you until you kind of something comes out of you basically it makes it absolutely it catches you at
1: the most inconvenient moments but i do know that i'm not at all creative when i'm on the road on the road i have to try and make sure i'm at the right airport at the right time with the right workshop notes and and you know all the the appropriate paperwork um and i don't do anything very creative on the road in fact i i do a little knitting but i just can't hunker down to it when i'm at home there's balls of yarn here there everywhere um little ideas started there's things on the breakfast table i mean it's it's bad it's everywhere but and i i get into this wonderful creative frenzy where i'm just just creating creating and it's it's really wonderful and i no longer panic when i'm not in that state and there's times when i'm doing a lot of sorting out and getting getting things organized um and then I don't create as much, but I know it will come back and bite me at some point. So one time I used to worry about that. Oh, I never, you know, I'm never going to have a creative thought again, but it, it'll be back. Uh, usually it's about two in the morning or when you're in the shower. or
0: <laughs> Yes, as you said, the most inconvenient time possible. But I think it is, we do need those sort of, um, I don't know, it's not so much a quiet time, but a kind of, I think perhaps a settled feeling, maybe a rooted feeling sometimes.
1: Settled, definitely. Yeah, yes,
0: for those ideas to come out.
1: Plus, you have to have your toys around you, because mm. if you need a skein of hot pink angora at three oh. in the morning, you know, where else are you going to get it from? Oh, hot
0: uh, pink angora. Do you know, I oh, have yes. some, actually. Mm. Well, I mean, how could <laughs> one resist? Purple, well, indeed. But I do love some some of those bright colours, I just think are just, oh,
1: Wonderful. Um, well, it was one of the skeins I picked up at the Sock Summit. Um, it was an Angora sock yarn, um, and it led to the Hugs and Kisses scarf because I suddenly realized that this this hot pink and natural white hand painted Angora would go really well with some chocolate brown blue face Leicester <laughs> in double knitting. And I mean, the, the texture of the two different yarns and, ooh, sumptuous. So it, that was. All, I had all the ingredients, it was just a matter of stirring it. Yes. For people who haven't sort of
0: seen it, what, what does the Hugs and Kisses scarf look like?
1: So the Hugs and Kisses was my first um, experiment in trying to take knitters into to beyond negative, positive double knitting. Up to this point, I've, I've done a series of sort of graduated patterns for double knitting but I've always stuck to negative positive design so in other words the stitches are in pairs knit pearl pairs and the front color is one color and the back color is the opposite color and the boxes are always color a and color b either a is on the front and b is on the back or vice versa and the hugs and kisses actually if you look on one side it has the little circular kisses symbol and on the other side at the back of it it has a little little cross the, the kiss symbol so they're not the reverse of one another on the two sides so that was a little little bit more mental gymnastics for the knitter but the actual mental gymnastics are only confined to five rows and ten stitches wide but it is quite a good brain exercise so that was my my first pattern that included dissimilar sides in double knitting mm. um, and i also stuffed the hearts in the middle the very first one I did with, with the chocolate brown and this pink angora, um, the the net result of this was such so much like confectionery. It was like those little German Lebkuchen oh, biscuits. Oh, I love
0: those! Yes,
1: I know, and just it makes your mouth water. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: because I had noticed it was stuffed. I, I was going to ask you about about that, but yes, so I can, I can just. Uh, sort of imagine it now because it it must be, especially in that Angora yarn, it must be just a wonderful kind of combination of the softness and the texture then with the raised hearts.
1: Absolutely, yes. And then with the chocolate brown to make you think of the chocolate Mm. coating on those little (laughs) gingerbread cookies too much.
0: And what about something like, I, I know you, well, obviously we've been talking about double knitting and your newest pattern, the bubble scarf, is also double knitting.
1: I've been wanting to do something just simple with, with spots in it. I mean, spots and circles are just a very pleasing shape. Now, they tend to be less fun in knitting because, of course, they're somewhat serrated. So what I've done with this scarf, I've taken two contrasting yarns. Um, I'm using the county, um yarn from Denmark. And it's, a, it's kind of like a Shetland in its, in its feel. And it's got a very long, slow color gradation. So I've taken the EQ colorway, which is a rainbow color. And so the colors change quite uh, or more speedily they d- than they do in some of the other ones. And a fairly neutral yarn for the other side. I think I forget the, the lettering on the uh, the second one. Yeah. So a, a biscuity neutral oh, color EN. on one side. EN, there we go. Uh, so EN and EQ. And the start of the scarf, I've done a tubular cast on with a, a, a sort of faux fringe, just vertical stripes in double knitting. And then as you get further up, I've set three sizes of circles, Um, so three circle motifs. And each circle, just before you close it, you stuff it with fleece or batting so that that they they look fat and chubby like little bubbles. And because the colors change fairly speedily up the scarf, yet gradually, the bubbles gradually change color as they, they flow up the scarf. And once you've established your three sizes of circles or bubbles, then you can put a bubble anywhere you like. And working out how to write the pattern was, obviously we don't want uh, a 500 row, row row by row direction. So what I've yes. done is a very specific swatch with every stitch charted and, and written row by, line by line. And it's about 20 lines long. So if you knit the whole swatch, you've done all the technique of the scarf and done your first bubble, and stuffed your bubble. So you've got every, you've done all the technique, and then the actual scarf itself. I have done a schematic to scale, and draw, drawn where I have put my bubbles. But if you have an outbreak of small bubbles and want to put them somewhere else, well, I'd like to move on to talking about your DVDs. Certainly,
0: listeners won't have heard it because I will have edited it out, but <laughs> during the beginning of the interview, uh, Lucy's phone rang and it was uh, a customer ordering some DVDs. And I think, I think, it, have you been doing them since, it's about four years now, the DVDs?
1: Yes, I think it's five years since we started the project. Four or five Januarys ago, uh, it was really because well, I've been teaching for a million years and i taught so many techniques where I've ended up with whole classfuls of people clustered around at my knees which is very flattering but you know it would be much easier if everyone could see what I was doing and the primary spot for watching I mean the optimal spot um, is behind your right shoulder so they can look over your right shoulder and observe what you're doing uh, just as if it was their hands Mm. and so the sock toe chimney technique which I'm particularly fond of you really can't describe it in words. Essentially, it's a sock toe that you finished. And instead of trying to graft it off the needles, you knit a little extension on a tube. So you finish your sock at the side, you change to a brightly contrasting color, knit about six rounds in your contrasting color and then bind that ch- little tube off. So that's what I call the sock toe chimney. You then stuff the chimney down inside the toe of the sock so you can just see the junction between the main color and the waist color. And then you simply duplicate stitch the contrasting color stitches on either side, um, giving you a color illustrated guide to grafting without a single loose stitch in place. And I've been teaching sock toe grafting this way for many years. And I just so desperately wanted to be able to make it big and show people what was really going on and that was what led me to filming i really wanted to do this but i didn't know how to go about it i mean i don't hang around in film circles uh, i thought about you know standing under a lamppost and saying excuse me will you film me uh, but i don't think that would been quite the movies that we were looking for <laughs> um so eventually i asked one of my crew that works here um and said, OK, today, your job is to phone everybody you know and everybody you don't know and see if anyone knows anyone that, that deals in films and filmmaking. And by sheer good fortune, we were put in contact with Colin McKenzie. Turns out that you know, he's very well known in the music industry and it would be a bit like ringing up Kay Fassett and saying, excuse me, will you knit me a dishcloth? Um, <laughs> So, um, but fortunately he had a friend who had just opened a yarn store in Halifax, The Loop in Halifax. And so he knew that there was more to this knitting business than, than met the eye. And um, they acted as a referee for me. And in, in they you know, t- turned around to Colin and said, well, if she was, says she wants to hire a film crew, I'm sure she'll pay and, you know, doesn't know what she's doing. Um, not necessarily in the filming department, but with the knitting. And so we, we had had. mutual reference between the two of us and we met over a coffee and we thought we were going to film one knitting dvd with 16 titles in yes Um, even the first year when we thought we were doing one it came out as four (laughs) because once you get me going on the subject of knitting it's very difficult to shut me
0: up (laughs) i have seen some of the dvds and the way it's shot is just fantastic for someone wanting to learn or sometimes if you're lucky to have friends who are knitters or have access to a knitting group you can forget sometimes what it's like for people who perhaps haven't got that opportunity to be shown how to do things or perhaps haven't got the opportunity to go to a class etc so then seeing on screen your hands and the knitting examples beautifully lit but with a a dark background so it's really clear to see exactly what you're doing it's really clear to see you know what's going on and, and how to do something.
1: I wanted it to be all about the stitches. I mean, that's what knitting is about. I didn't want... I appear in the the absolute minimum. There's a very brief introduction. We'll talk a little more about that in a minute. There's more suffering involved than that and the rest of it put together. (laughs) it's all about the stitches. So in my mind, I imagine you're sat next to me with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, whichever takes your preference. And you've said, can you just show me how to? And because I've taught so many classes, I feel that I was able to address most questions that people would ask if they were there to ask them. That's one of two things I think, oh, I wish I just said that about doing it left-handed with your toes behind your ears, but you you just (laughs) cannot get everything, absolutely everything. But they're pretty comprehensive and they are they're the fruit of many many years of teaching because i've seen people interpret things in so many different ways approach things in so many different ways i i they are they're the questions i have been asked time and time again and that's actually how i found the subject matter for them the things that i was constantly amazed that people really didn't feel comfortable doing or didn't know they didn't know and that's the trouble with holes in your knowledge you don't know what you don't know till you find out you didn't know it so you have to have an open mind and be prepared to let some of it wash over you but to find the one or two gems that really work for you I had a lovely lady the other day who called she bought a dvd by accident uh she obviously wasn't seriously intending to buy knitting dvd enjoyed it so Sorry, much. Sorry, I imagine <laughs> going in wanting die hard. <laughs> well, yes, she might have gone in for carrots and came out with a knitting DVD. I don't know how, how much of an accident it was, but I imagine yeah. she was in a knitting store. <laughs> but she she said that she liked it so much, she had to buy the rest of the rest of the set and had learned so much and she'd been knitting for 60 years and had no idea she didn't know all this stuff. And um, so that was just a wonderful compliment because she didn't know anything about me or didn't know me from the hole, hole in the ground. But bought it, watched it and had an open mind. And that was just wonderful. That's what we we really love. And we've got some wonderful customer comments. I mean, there's one lady whose cat won't fall asleep unless the cat is listening to me. So she's pe- hoping that I will please produce some more because she's heard them all <laughs> so many times. It's it's kind of
0: a variation then, I suppose, on those uh, DVDs you get for cat showing fish swimming around in a tank. Have That's have you right. showing, <laughs> showing them how to cast on. Actually, I watched one of the DVDs and you're talking about cast ons and you're talking about people who when they've, oh, actually, it's when, when people have cast off and the people who dedicatedly thread the end of the yarn through the final loop. And you say, promise me, you won't ever do this. I thought, oh, no, I do that. I didn't know that was wrong
1: it's <laughs> not really wrong but it's unnecessary yes. and it leads to that little widget at the end which people then spend a lot of time trying to cure the yeah, widget Yes, good it's
0: really annoying and it, it, it never actually occurred to me that you didn't actually have to do that I think somebody had just you know my grandmother or someone had shown me that's what you do
1: and uh, <laughs> I had no idea well we tend to learn one way and unless you know that's our particular area of of interest we stick with that one way I mean you know I'm not very creative about how I cycle differently I mean there, there are some things in my life that I just do the same way I've always done and never really thought about it whereas knitting I do actually think about a lot and I spend a lot of my time playing around with my stitches so it's we all, we all have areas of expertise and I don't see any point in people suffering through, well, I'd say suffering through, but everything I've learned, I've learned by making mm-hmm. mistakes. And so I just try and make new and more creative mistakes. Yes. And so that there are new learning opportunities, but we don't all have to make all those mistakes in order to find things out. And so I've tried to take from, from students the things and go, oh, they didn't know that. Well, I'll film that next time and make a note of it. <laughs> it goes on the list. Yes, and then I try to put them together into families that make sense, and group sort of group them, and then of course I think well, well if we're discussing this, we really should discuss something else which is associated with it. So they they sort of clump up into families.
0: Yes, I was going to say that I was also quite pleased to see that you demonstrated how to use a swift and ball winder in the first round, which is quite useful because I think quite often people might get hold of those and they oh I'm not too sure what I do now.
1: Well, even just being aware of the pre- the, the existence of a thing yes. called a swift. I mean, I wasn't until I became a spinner. Um, a lot of the things that I've taken to knitting have come from other sources. So spinning and lace making and stitching. And um, I've learned things there that I've then taken back and applied to knitting. Something as simple as learning to use a swift or own- owning or knowing where to borrow a Swift can transform your life. In fact, my daughter was saying that it was nice of me to send her two skeins of yarn, but could I send it pre-wound next time oh. because she doesn't have a Swift <laughs> at university?
0: You were saying, of course, that there are 16 titles at the moment. Could you just take me through the sort of names of some of those titles?
1: Yes, I, as I reach for the list, because actually remembering all this stuff is actually getting very tricky. <laughs> yes. The first two we've, that we started the series with were Knitting Essentials 1 and 2, and they are aimed at every knitter. I think every knitter that it's sort of knitting 101, uh, I think everyone should know these skills before they're allowed to leave home. And they're not basic, because I don't think most people regard cutting knitting as a basic skill, but I didn't want to put that on a pedestal and make people wait till much later, because I think the sooner you're acclimatized to the concept that knitting is a fabric then the less scary it's going to be so essentials one and two are pretty beefy Um, a lot of knitters will know a good proportion of what's on there but the other half i'm hoping will come as a revelation and those are the things that i think underpin every other kind of knitting um sock techniques one and two fairly self-explanatory sock techniques one are the sort of standard top-down sock. Um, but in its constituent parts, it's not a let's knit this sock together thing. I've, I've broken it down to cast-ons and, and chapters and families. So you can go to the index and you know you want to cast-ons. So you can go cast-ons for t- for top-down socks um, and you can go to the family and you can go to the topic. Sock techniques two are some slightly more unusual techniques again really there should be a t- sock techniques three when I'm feeling in the ge- geared up for filming again but um, for the time being one and two the following year we went on to the gems series now these are things like feeding and short rows and we have an index booklet that's printable from our website yes. because I can't remember where everything is anymore <laughs> and there's also a reverse index as well but I, I wouldn't leave home without my little pink booklet with, with where all the topics yes. are but the they're useful things, things that will definitely enhance your knitting life. But, you know, you might go through the whole of your life and never do any beaded knitting. But on the other hand, it's, it's good to know. We have one dedicated purely to the subject of double knitting uh, called Double Knitting Delight. And that's actually made me feel much freer to write more patterns for double knitting because now I feel there is actually a resource. There are a few books on the subject, but knitting and reading don't go together. Mm. Reading is top to bottom, left to right. Knitting is right to left, bottom to top. So we're trying to amalgamate brain feeds in two different directions. It's a bit like trying to knit the black squares with the white yarn and vice versa. Yes. If you've ever tried doing that. It, it's a small substitution, but it's amazing how it messes with the brain wiring. <laughs> um, So double knitting, I think, has to be, it's all about reading the stitches, looking at the stitch and saying, are you a front stitch or are you a back stitch? Mm -hmm. What colour would you like to be? I spend a lot of my time talking to my stitches. You won't tell anyone, will you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I did like your little logo, which is of a a little
1: stitch loop. Absolutely. I have one tattooed on my arm. (laughs) Yes, I have them on my car doors, too. (laughs) And I have them on my Doc Martin boots that I found in Portland. It's what, it wasn't the sock Summit. I was teaching at another store. Mm. Um, and they have the only Doc Martin store in the whole of North America. And they've got them in all the colours of the rainbow. Um, Which is only even one Doc Martin store in the whole of North America. It's a dedicated, 100%, yeah. nothing other than Doc Martins. Right. And there's only one in the whole of North America. And it happened to be next door to where I was teaching. Uh, so I felt obliged to buy two pairs of boots in order to get them contrasting colours. But even for me, the pink and blue boots were just a shade brighter. I, mean, I was walking down the street with, with them and, and they're aware of my feet. So yes. It was pretty bright. But I decorated them with a Sharpie and um, they all have happy knit stitches. And actually have some Australian cousin stitches. Those are the ones in between the original direction stitches. So they're fully decorated. Now they, they just feel perfect. They're still quite bright, but now they've got the stitches on. They're <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> so I'll decorate anything with stitches.
0: You've also got a, a DVD dedicated to the Cuckoo Dolls.
1: Yes. And that's really a 17th DVD, although it's, it's not doesn't actually belong to my company. Um, but the Dolly Mamas are a wonderful <laughs> pair of ladies. Actually, one of whom lives in Massachusetts, the other in California now. But they, they met up a yarn store owned by one of them and they started a doll making group and they were so taken in or or taken by the effect that making dolls had on other people as well they enjoyed making them they liked watching it come alive in their hands but they enjoyed the effect that the doll had when they showed it to somebody else or gave it to somebody else or gifted it to a child they were they were so delighted they they started making custom kits, so they, they did kits of all their children, and um, they've just done some some soldier dolls as well um, lately. I saw them at TNA recently, and they have all these. Um, well, they're also doing celebrity knitter dolls. I um, I'm yes, there's a doll of you, <laughs>
0: Lucy uh, Doll. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, I think. Well, when we were deciding which doll to film, now this their DVD is similar but different to mine. It's, it still has the chapters and the indexes, but we have taken the project right through from the beginning all the way up as we put it from the toes to the top knot and the tattoo. She has the happy stitch tattoo on her arm, which is a bit scary thinking of all those people needle felting my arm. So I'm <laughs> either going to get a really sore arm.
0: <laughs> yes, let's hope they're thinking warm thoughts of you
1: while they're doing it. Absolutely. <laughs> So that was how Lucy came about. And Lucy is wearing her favourite crazy coloured dress, which was made by my daughter many years ago, and has pretty pretty good pink hairdos. So <laughs> <laughs> I was actually quite funny. At a TNA lady in the booth next door popped her head round towards the end of the day. And I was stood there holding the Lucy doll, wearing the and I was wearing the appropriate clothing. So I was actually matching the doll. And the, the woman looked at me, Now when do you pick that one off the shelf? It looks just like you yeah. it is you isn't it <laughs> and she hadn't twigged, but then she she looked at the doll and the doll's got odd shoes on as well and uh, so she, she was very really impressed nice. so yes yeah, so we, we we filmed that for the Dolly Mamas they are a social entrepreneurship and they donate a portion of their proceeds to charities um it, women and children's charities some in Africa and some in North America and they're they're lovely ladies, they do kits and yes. they do the D V D that goes with them. We're hoping that the D V D will help people have doll parties when everyone wants to get together and make dolls and yes. and it's in a way it's a little bit like a learn to knit D V D. Um we've we've assumed I tried to assume nothing. It was lots of fun to work with them. The dolls are really cute. I wouldn't describe myself as a terribly dolly person, but theirs are really fun. <laughs>
0: And now, obviously, that DVD is separate from your line of DVDs. But you've people can now take out a, a subscription to your DVDs.
1: How did that come about? Suddenly, occurred to me that we had people ringing up saying, "Oh, I've just got to go and see what I've got on the shelf," because I mean, they pay us a great compliment by by buying one and then coming back for mm-hmm. the rest. But to be honest, when you buy 16 of something, the chances of you actually working your way through all of them and watching them yes. is very slim. It's overwhelming. So mm. I think it's better to have little bouts of information arriving regularly. So the subscription service we offer is you can have one a month, one every two months. It's very, very flexible and you can let us know which ones you've got and which ones you don't want and just tick off the ones that you would like to complete your series. So, in other words, if you've got one, three, and 11, and you'd like the other ones, then you only have to go and look on your bookshelf once and let us know what it is you would like to complete the series, and they will arrive once a month. We ship on the first of the month, or Susan ships on the first of the month, and you can request whether it's every two months or whether you want two DVDs, whatever whatever you like, we can, mm. we can work out for you. And that way your series will gradually be completed. And we're working on a couple of little surprises to include along with the DVDs, Little extras as a thank you for people for subscribing, uh, but I figure people that way have more time to actually digest the information because I love it when people buy them, but I like it even better when they ring me and say, "Wow, I never knew that!" And that's that is the real pay for any teacher is when people say you've made a difference, and we we did get some wonderful emails and letters from people who's like, you have transformed this, or I no longer am afraid of that. And that's a really, that's a really powerful thing. I mean, that's what keeps me standing in airport security lineups for the <laughs> 75th time, you know, emptying your pockets and all of that performance yes. that travel is. But when people when people get the message and you've given them a new tool, I, I want to give people the tools and the skills and the confidence to go out and play whatever games they want to play.
0: TNA was fairly recently. Could you tell us more about what TNA actually is and uh, what your involvement in it was?
1: Well TNA is the National Needleworks Association and it's an American organisation set up to help yarn stores uh, communicate with one another to learn market trends, learn business skills, to see what's what's on the marketplace, what is hot, how people sell product, and also to go around to all the companies offering product to needle craft stores. And this includes sewing as well as knitting. So trade companies, such as my distributors, um, would have a booth there um, up north. Fiber Arts distribute my patterns and DVDs in the States. And they, ha- they would have a booth and people come around and take the The first day, it's only shop owners and a couple of staff that are allowed to go per shop. And so it's a kind of strange show because it's not the mob scene that you expect at Stitches or what some of these other events, because there's only a limited number of people allowed to attend. And the first day they go around checking out the booths to see what's new, what they think might please their customers, watching demonstrations, business seminars. There's lots of free seminars. And there's also um, opportunities to take workshops. So TNNA set up quite a number of tutors, such as myself, uh, giving workshops before the show. So mm-hmm. there's about two days before the show opens, so that shop owners don't have to miss their buying opportunities um, and their you know research opportunity in order to take a workshop but any time that I've been at a store teaching the yarn shop owner is far too busy running the store and keeping things going and making sure the students are happy far too busy to be able to take a workshop so on this occasion they can actually indulge themselves take a workshop with some of the people that they are selling to to their customers and it's also a way for them to assess oh i think we should get this teacher to come to our store this is just the right presentation that we need and so it's a way of connecting meeting people and i do love teaching there because teaching the shop owners they're generally very above average skilled knitters and they take on board ideas with with great enthusiasm so they they really really fly through workshops which is it's really fun just watching them and it's also a lot of socializing because, of course, you know, many of the people. It's it's a small business. So you, you get to meet people mm. um, that you haven't seen for a while. So it's a lot of networking and connecting and people giving each other good business ideas. Of, you know, how do you sell seats in workshops? How do you how do you move yarn that's now no longer fashionable? How, how do you make your point of sale system work? All sorts of things. Where do you think Pattern delivery is going. I mean, this is a really hot topic right now. The age of the paper pattern, as such, is not dead, but it's certainly dwindling. Mm. People want electronic format, they want different things from their patterns. We mustn't forget the people who aren't as connected, and I certainly think in the UK, people are not as connected as they are here. So everyone is discussing all these different aspects of knitting and needlework as a business. It's a very energetic show, and I always come back exhausted.
0: Yes, I'll probably need a rest after that, yes.
1: Oh, absolutely, because your mind is just so full of ideas. I must do this. And um, Mm. my my next book, I'm definitely going to have it available as a PDF format as well as a paper Mm. version. And I would really like to go the route of doing an audiobook with it as well Mm. because then you can carry on knitting whilst you read your book. Absolutely.
0: I think the great thing about PDFs is it's a lot of us just like the immediacy of being able to go to a website or go to Ravelry or somewhere and see something we like and instantly buy that pattern or buy that yes. book and get to read it and or start it straight away because you know knitting might be a slow craft but we want to, still want everything now don't
1: we? Absolutely yes well I've been very happy with my association with Pattern Fish. they actually precipitated me into um, really working hard on to con- converting my older patterns into PDF format, which has meant a huge amount of work. I've been two years now plugging away at the coalface, but I'm just beginning to feel that one day I will come through this. But our new patterns immediately go out in PDF format. And and we also do paper, paper for people who still want paper or for stores. Um, but the bubble scarf for example this weekend we were just putting some information up on because i knew my web mistress was away till today and we couldn't get it up on the website till today but every time it came out of the bag at tnna people were sort of stopped it just stopped traffic i was amazed it was essentially a very simple scarf but really fun to carry around and knit and yet it, you know people think you're splitting the atom and it's not really that difficult and so i felt that there was a lot of encouragement to get the pattern out and done and I'm trying to finish a book right now but I knew that the pattern was a finite doable thing I had written the text for the tubular cast on and drawn the diagrams so in many ways I had got several lumps of the pattern already written and, and prepared it was just a matter of assembling the whole and getting it checked so it came together really nice and quickly and so I got the photos taken. I, I have a wonderful photographer now on Tancook Island. And I've taken the scarf over and she's done some fabulous. She does both beautiful garment type shots where you can see what's going on. But she also does some really fun, arty shots. You should see it nestled in amongst the daisies on Tancook Island. Oh, wow. It's just gorgeous. Oh, it, her shots are just wonderful. Oh um and so we will be entering in brave new era of much nicer pattern photos on our our patterns obviously it takes a while to get all you know when you've got 80 or 90 odd loose patterns out Mm. there it takes a while to get them all updated uh but we're working away like mad (laughs) literally (laughs) mad (laughs) so hillary's photographs of these new patterns are quite quite glorious Mm. and so we uploaded some of those to Flickr on friday and then word got out somewhere. And the first thing I knew was one of my customers ringing really up saying, I have to have the kit. Um, and so I, I contacted Julia because our website is still is under construction, but we're getting close. We will be a full shopping cart website by the end of the, this year, hopefully much sooner. But I needed Julia to take the heat at uh, Patternfish, take the heat off me because, you know, if somebody emailed me for a pattern, I then have to reply with a PayPal, then I have to wait for their response, then I have to send them the pattern. So it's about four or five interactions to mm-hmm. make it happen instantaneously. Whereas patternfish really can handle that. So you can see, you can pay, you can have as fast as that. And so Julia Glesser got got it up in record quick time and it's I think it's justified her brush work on friday night <laughs> it's i've <laughs> never seen a pattern sell so fast in its it, on its first day oh See, how many did it sell we, we're we certainly i think into the thirty forties, which mm-hmm. you know for a new pattern is yes. it's, i mean it's mm-hmm. untried untested etc which is really i mean that's amazing in yes. pattern terms uh, i mean i'm not planning to retire based on 30 patterns <laughs> <cells. laughs> Um, But uh, the Sea Lettuce Scarf is our all-time biggest seller and that one is very incremental you know just very slowly whereas as bubbles has burst on the scene, um, deliberately punning intended, (laughs) um, but it is so much fun and it only requires two balls of yarn. It's quite a long slow knit. But once you get it going, um, you'll just impress the heck out of everybody every time you wave it around. You may not have tried double knitting before, but this is the time. And the DVD is a really big help if you want to have the DVD as well, because I'm actually commentating the stitches. So there's so much more on the DVD that it will really help you if you feel you haven't done double knitting before. But on the other hand, I also try to write the patterns, assuming no double knitting knowledge. Mm. Um, But once you understand what you're doing you'll just
0: fly it's really fun well i wanted to talk to you next about your yarn line these celestial yarns we've been doing them for oh probably six or seven
1: i don't know how the years rather nip nip by without me noticing (laughs) we have a 100 percent merino fingering weight yarn we have about 25 what i call mottled solid colors they're they're essentially dyed in one color yes um um, yet they come out with all shades of the same colour in them. They, mm. They're lovely for lace. They, they add interest without detracting from the lace. Plain socks even, they just, it's like the difference between hand-spun and machine-spun. There's some character to the colour as mm. well. So we love our mottled solids. And we have eight hand-painted colourways.
0: Oh, I love uh, we, the hand-paints. I must say, two of my favourite socks I knit from... One is from, I think it's Blue Vesuvius. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I think it's Blue Vesuvius. And then the second one is fuchsia. And I remember I was knitting the socks in the fuchsia. I think it was. Fiery fuchsia. Yes, fiery fuchsia. When I went to Paris five years ago, when I interviewed Kate Gilbert, because she Mm -hmm. loved the colours because they are just startling colors they're just so they really sort of captivate you and they're quite well certainly at the time they seem quite unlike any others that i'd seen
1: well i'm very lucky i, I don't actually physically do the dyeing myself but i get to choose all the colors catherine thomas the Fleece artist custom dyes a range of colors for us and it's great to be able to choose all, all i mean fiery future obviously is one of my favorites so, but, so mm. it's blue. i mean they all are and they are very much me in a skein. Um, <laughs> and the comment has been made that they bear an uncanny resemblance to my hair as well. Oh, yes, they uh, do really, when I think about it <laughs> yes yeah. um, so it, it's lovely to have a, a line of yarns that we can we can play with and and wish for new colors i'm I'm very i'm not. I I suppose to coin Stephanie's phrase, I'm another yarn harlot, but not not quite on that standard. I can't even stay faithful to my own yarns. We also have the Cat's Pyjamas, which has some cashmere and some nylon in it. So we have mainly the Celestial Merino fingering weight. We have the Cat's Pyjamas fingering weight. And of late, we've been selling the county, which is from, well, the company is from Denmark, but the yarn actually comes from Estonia. And I've been having a great time with these long color change yarns. So, I I mean, whatever yarn is around, if it speaks to me, I knit with it. So, Mm. it's wonderful to have all these colors. And, you know, I can always find hot pink at three in the morning. not a problem (laughs) for me. And mango. And it's really fun. (laughs) How long have you been knitting? It's been a very long time. I mean, I learned when I was probably ten-ish. and My grandmother bribed me. And I had to knit this horrible blue acrylic rabbit called yeah. Reggie and um, it, was a, it was a British wool yarn marketing board knitting book and I found it in my sister's house recently and it was like time travel. I opened the book and went back to Reggie Rabbit and went, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, but I was glad to find the book because it's sort of a piece of history yes. and then I didn't knit it until I was 17 and that's actually getting to be a horribly long time ago. So I've been knitting for a really, really long time. And I knit when I was at sea. I used to be a much Navy navigating officer. So I used to take yarn and needles and take it to sea with me. Oh. So I had to work out my own problems there. If I had a knitting problem, there was no one else on the ship well, that could help truth. me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I guess that's where I started. You a knitting distress call. <laughs> I I did have a friend on another ship once and we had a very strange job. It was kind of boring, but in the wee hours of the night on the the private channel, channel 70, I would give her knitting help. Fortunately, she wasn't doing lace. You can imagine, you know, guard one, guard two, cast on three, yarn over, over. (laughs) So I think that was actually my first knitting lesson was from one old fishing trawler to another old fishing trawler in the English Channel. It was also where I did my first lace edging and I remember knitting this lace edging and as I worked my way around the shawl every now and again I would drop my plastic knitting needle down the companionway to the deck below where it would shatter on the deck and I'd shove it in the bridge pencil sharpener and sharpen it up again. So by the time I'd finished cutting the edging on my my one little stubby knitting needle was only about three inches long. <laughs> that was a long time ago so for years I knit from other people's patterns um, and regarded it as an excursion into their brain and I found Things that I regarded as shortcomings, things that I thought were good things, things where I felt they could have given me more information. Mm. And that was very much in my mind when I started writing pattern, which was largely, well, one of the catalysts was the fleece artist when they were a retail store. Catherine Thomas asked me if I would start teaching classes. They should never crossed my mind. I thought everyone knit like I did. And my first colour class, there are a few survivors, but we did do um, intarsia, ferro, and mosaic knitting in one evening, and I wondered why people found it a bit much. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't seem at all order to me. Um, So since then I have refined my technique considerably and gone much deeper into each of the subjects. I really love all kinds of knitting and I'm very lucky and glad that I was able to do as many different kinds of knitting before I got into knitting as a business because I do not have nearly as much playtime now as I would like.
0: Mm.
1: So I did a lot of playing before I got started and that was very, very useful. I also wanted
0: to ask you about uh, when you moved nearly 20 years ago in 92 from uh, Milford Haven in West Wales, which, of course, I'm familiar with, obviously, being Welsh and having uh, uh, relatives in West Wales. But you moved from Milford Haven to Nova Scotia. (laughs) how, How did that
1: all come about? Well, I moved on the strength of there being a shop. <laughs> uh, you may laugh. My husband came home from work one day and said, "How do you fancy moving to Halifax?" And um, there's a Halifax in Yorkshire, as you know. Um, and he said, "No, Halifax, Nova Scotia." And I said, "Well, hang on a minute." And I went and got my Rowan book, and I looked in the back and said, "Look, oh, they've got a Rowan shop. We can go." <laughs> <laughs> really. Absolutely. In all honesty, totally. Now, this was a a company move and the company then spent about three years making their minds up whether we were going or whether we weren't going. And they kept saying, well, we'll send you over for a visit. In the meantime, there was a surprise baby. I have no idea where she came from. (laughs) And we never were sent for a visit. And the next thing we were uh, were told is, oh, by the way, you're leaving for Canada in three weeks' time. We will sell the house, lock the door and leave. So in that three weeks, I spent what little personal money I had, having been ashore with babies for a few years, I spent what money I had at Rowan, Patricia Roberts and a few other machine kits, just in case the colonies weren't quite what I was expecting. Um, and so I turned my, my my assets into wool and off we went to, to Nova Scotia. But you can imagine my, well chagrin doesn't even come close devastation my total devastation on the great day having having moved to halifax march is not a good time to move to halifax especially with three small children they didn't even know mittens or hats and by march they're around here they're selling paddling pools and barbecues yet there's ice up to the yin yang and it's it's really disgusting we found a house but we're still living in a hotel and the great day dawned where I said right here's the address of the yarn shop we're going to find it so there's it two children and a pushchair, and off we went walking in the cold to find this yarn shop imagine my devastation to get to the door where this yarn shop was supposed to be and it wasn't there they only gave us a one-way ticket otherwise I would have been gone that night <laughs> kids or no kids Uh, Fortunately, we were six weeks in the hotel waiting to move into the house. And um, in the course of that six weeks, trying to keep three small children entertained, you know, outside the hotel room. uh, We we did a lot of walking, but we also discovered in Halifax, the drivers are very polite. And if you hesitate by the side of the road, you have to cross because all the traffic stops. (laughs) So we we went to a lot of places we didn't expect to go to because we had to keep crossing the (laughs) roads. Um, but in the course of that, I actually found that the yarn shop had just moved and it was the other side of town and hadn't actually disappeared. So I hadn't entirely been conned. So I could go in there for about five minutes. But of course, you can't really stand around in a small yarn shop with a push chair and three small children for very long. Mm-hmm. So I'd go in and breathe the fumes and feel a little bit better. But um, it, it took a while to get over the move. But I, I love living in Canada, really do.
0: Where do you live now? Are you still in the same place?
1: Still, still in the same house. Fortunately, we, we chose wisely. It doesn't look quite so roomy now. It's got a, a fairly burgeoning business on all three levels yes. of the house. My husband would dearly love to have a dining room again. I'd quite like to have a kitchen again. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a constant battle to, to try and keep it in some semblance of, uh, of order. We do get quite a number of visitors here, and we I'm sure my neighbours wonder what I'm up to when there are uh, coaches parked outside because we have quite a few parties come from cruise ships that have been are in Halifax uh, with pa- parties of cruising knitters, and there's a grey-like wow. coach... Parked outside your house all day. <laughs> I, I had no idea you had coaches, busloads and <laughs>
0: knitters going
1: through cruise <laughs> ships. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: we, we, we prepare we open all the doors and we, we dust you know make it easy for people to get around we get all, all the crew in to help and we, we find we have to be especially with some of the tours they don't get very long so mm. we have to be able to take their money really fast <laughs> <laughs> but they love to come and where I hang out and this is really the only place where you can see all the designs they're all here yeah. this is where I when I travel I don't have, obviously have nearly as many of them with yes. me so this is, this is where it all comes from. And then, we, of course, we have yarn mecca downstairs. So the basement is pretty much converted to a yarn shop. And But, of course, none of this was a serious business move. So we just sort of, I moved into the dining room by stealth, and then it's gone from there. I mean, you know, this was a joke business with a, a 286 computer built out of spare parts in a plastic bag by a friend's son. You know, help from a friend and another friend as a webmistress. We have exceeded our expectations. <laughs> But we're far too busy to have time to move. Um, It would be nice to have some custom space. And I'm sure it'd be nice for my husband too. But uh, at the moment, I hardly have time to breathe, let alone move house. Gosh, I know. I was going to ask you, what was
0: coming up next? Because I know you're working on a book. Can you talk yet about your next book? Oh,
1: yes, I can. (laughs) It's going to be called Cool Knitters, Finish in Style. And I'm just searching for a couple of swatches. But we're getting down to wrestling with commas now. This is going to be out this fall. Absolutely. Uh, I've got the final proof probably coming in the next day or two when we're going to be dealing with grammar and and a few more commas and that sort of thing. But we're really hoping to have it going to press around the end of August. Mm. So it's going to be the same size and shape as Cool Socks, Warm Feet, maybe a little fatter. It started out life as a little booklet, a rather ugly looking booklet, but highly, highly applauded by Clara Parks in her review. At knitters review she did describe it as downright ugly but for the, the content was good <laughs> and I, I tend to run out of energy by the end of the cover or by the cover all my energies go into what's inside now i know this is just not the way the world works you should have beautiful packaging and fresh air inside and unfortunately i i like the meat and potatoes bit in the middle and yes. i don't care if you wrap it newspaper <laughs> but um so i do need a bit of a head when it gets to the outside of things but anyway so it's going to be that that size but not spiral bound because that's been quite a quite a challenge to successfully <laughs> ship spiral bound books but yes it will be out this fall and i can't wait <laughs> Wonderful. I, i'm very pregnant right now it feels
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh well thank you very much for uh, giving me your time today lucy it's been just wonderful to talk to you well i'm maria shard and that was netcast thanks for listening